we'll skip this one. How about this one? In Luke 24, 25 and, and further, this, this is an event after the resurrection of Christ. And these two men, they're, they're leaving Jerusalem and they're walking on the road to Emmaus, which is about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And these two men are talking about the events of the resurrection. They're like, man, you know, Jesus, you know, he came, he died, and then all of a sudden there's an empty tomb and we can't find him, what's going on? And the stranger comes up beside these men and starts talking to them. And this stranger is the resurrected Jesus, but he fails himself so they can't really, you know, they don't really recognize him. And he says, hey, guys, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, what? You don't know what we're talking about? What do you, what do you mean? Where have you been? <laughs> the big news, you know, that Jesus, our, our, supposedly our Messiah, he died, and then we can't find him. And so Jesus starts talking to them, and uh, they start talking to him, and eventually he reveals himself to them, and they're like, oh, my goodness, it's Jesus this whole time. And he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, which is basically a way to say beginning with the entire Old Testament, he explained what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then later on that evening, Jesus meets up with disciples. And this is the famous scene where he, you know, he eats some fish and shows them the pierced hands and feet. And he says to the disciples, this is what I told you while still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is being super complete. This is basically the entire Old Testament. Then he opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So Jesus himself is saying, look, then basically the entire Old Testament is about me. I'm the main character. I am the theme of the entire Old Testament. All right. Um, there's, so so here, here's the deal. In the Old Testament, Christ is He's more concealed. He's in shadow. He's in pictures. He's in type, which I will explain in a minute what that means. He is more veiled. He's in ritual. He's prophesied, and he's implicitly revealed. Where subsequently in the New Testament, he is then revealed. He's in person. He's unveiled. He's in reality. He's explicitly revealed. So that's how it works. What I want to do next is, um, oh, before I get to that, let me give you an illustration um, here about uh, let me give you an illustration about how this works with that connectivity between the Old and New Testament. Have you guys heard of the book series, Where's Waldo? I'd say most of you in here have, and that's okay if some of you haven't. In fact, I hope, hope there's a couple of you in here that's never heard of Waldo, because then this illustration will really work for you. All right? Uh, maybe somebody who's really young. Anybody here have not heard Where's Wal about Where's Waldo book? You've never heard. You seriously have never heard Where's Waldo? How can you be a youth pastor and never know where's Waldo? Are you serious? You're, you're serious. Oh, this is great. So, all right. So, you never heard of the book series, Where's Waldo? All right. So, you ever seen like, pictures like this in the book, Where's Waldo? Okay. So, the point of the book series, Where's Waldo, is you're supposed to look at these picture books, which is just a mass of humanity and stuff going on. And then you're supposed to do something with it. And if someone says, look at this picture and, and interpret it for me, if you don't understand or never heard of Where's Waldo, you would be saying what, Peter? What, what, how would you interpret this? Okay, good, good. So it's a jumble of stuff. How about there's not, another picture in another picture in the book Where's Waldo? Everybody else is like, oh, Peter, he's so off. He has no idea what he's looking at here, right? What, what's the point of Where's, what, what's this picture? What's this about? 
Okay, good, good. So it's just a bunch of mass of humanity, maybe in China, that's right. Because only in China would that be, you know, there's only so much beach, right? And there's, so that's good, good. But then what if I told you the point of where's Waldo is you're supposed to find Waldo. That's the point. It's not to interpret all this other stuff. Does that help you? Helps you a little bit, right? But it only helps you so far because now you're like, your, your question would be, there you go, that's a great question. Who is Waldo? What is Waldo? Maybe Waldo's not a person. Maybe it's like an android. Maybe it's, you know, whatever. So what if I told you, ah, uh, here's Waldo. This is what he looks like. This is goofy-looking guy with these, you know, round spectacles and this ski cap and this peppermint striped shirt and blue pants. That's Waldo. Now you have an understanding. Oh, these books are about trying to find Waldo in this mass of humanity and stuff. You're supposed to find Waldo in here somewhere, okay? So that's the point of where's Waldo. But you would never know that, um, and it wouldn't make sense to you until you understood the concept, understood what the point is, and then, more importantly, you wouldn't know how to find Waldo until you knew what he looked like. So what's the point of this illustration? By the way, I got this illustration from uh, John MacArthur in one of his sermons. The point is this. It's not until you get to the New Testament to where you see what Jesus looks like and who Jesus is, and he is um, who he says he is. Um, and not until then, then you can look back in the Old Testament, and then you can find Jesus there. In the Old Testament, he's more veiled, okay? He's prophesied. He's uh, written up in types and stuff. And then when you get to the New Testament, you see what it looks like. Then you can go back in the Old Testament, and you can find Jesus there, okay? Um, and it's not until you, you understand what Jesus looks like, and then you can see him. And that's how it is um, with the connectivity between the New and the Old Testament. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look back into the Old Testament and find Jesus there when he might have been more hidden and veiled uh, before. But our job is just like the worst Walla book is to find him because that's what God wants us to do when we read the Old Testament. And it's, he's revealed three major ways in the Old Testament, through types, through prophecy, which is fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus' life and also through Jesus' miracles, and then this uh, angel of the Lord. That is how he is revealed in the Old Testament. Okay? So first thing is, what is a type? Now I was going to make you guys uh, figure out what a type is through multiple choice, but for sake of time, we're not gonna, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give you the answer. Uh, this is a very important concept uh, of study in um, biblical theology. It's very important that you guys understand what type is. Because if you understand type or typology, which is, means the study of type, it's going to unlock a lot of understanding and meaning for you when you read, especially the Old Testament. But a type is some person, event, or object that foreshadows or symbolizes a future person, event, or object. And when we talk about biblical types, most, the majority of biblical types in the Bible are persons, events, objects that foreshadow or symbolize the coming of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus is the anti-type, which I think is a bad word because anti means against. It should be like post-type or something like that. But the person that is foreshadowed is the anti-type. And so Jesus is the anti-type. And the Old Testament is full of types of Christ. And it is no accident how these objects, these rituals, these events, these people were depicted in the Old Testament specifically because they are meant to foreshadow Jesus, the coming of Jesus in the New Testament. And so again, this is such an important concept. When you understand typology, 
you will understand subsequently, wow, how the Old Testament was unfolded, why all these things happened the way they happened in the Old Testament, why God commanded certain things to be done or certain rituals to be done in the Old Testament because they are meant to be types foreshadowing Jesus. Okay, So let me give you some examples of this. Um, there are a lot of types, in the, again, in the Old Testament. Here are some examples. Animal sacrifices are a type of Christ. Um, animal sacrifices, why did God make people do animal sacrifices? Well, they were a temporary covering of sins, but they were meant to foreshadow the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the perfect and complete sacrifice. You ever wonder why the, the animals had to be without blemish? It's because Jesus was without blemish. He was unblemished. He was without sin. And why did animal sacrifices, you have to have shed blood? It's because Jesus would shed his blood for us. And so animal sacrifices are foreshadowing a type of Christ in the future. Another type is the brazen serpent. This is a type of Christ. The brazen serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness where people could find physical healing when they looked at the brazen serpent is, is a type of Christ, of the lifted up Christ through whom our spiritual healing comes from. So John 3.14 says, as Moses um, was lifted up in the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Another type of Christ is manna. The manna that was fed the, the Jews in the wilderness wanderings for 40 years that fed them and sustained them every day is a type of Christ. Our, uh, Christ is our bread of life who sustains us forever who, to those who believe in him and will never go hungry. So that is a type of Christ. And um, we'll skip to the next one here. There are many characters in the Old Testament that are types of Christ. This is a, a list of many different characters that have some foreshadowing of the Jesus who is to come. For example, uh, Boaz from the Ruth fame, he is the Ruth's kinsman's, kinsman redeemer, the one who redeemed Ruth, Ruth and saved her and her family. And Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. So Boaz is a type of Christ. Um, let's talk about another type of Christ, Jonah. Okay, I, for those, I think it was probably a year and a half ago I came and I spoke on Jonah and I kind of dressed up in, a, you know, some of the characters. Uh, one of the take-home messages I want you to get across was Jonah is a type of Christ. Um, Matthew 12, 40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You ever wonder why Jonah had to be in the, in the belly of that fish for three days, three nights? I mean, if I was in there for three hours, that would have been enough. Even three minutes, that would have been enough to get my attention. But the whole point was Jonah is supposed to be a type of Christ, the future Christ, a foreshadowing. And there are other similarities in Jonah's uh, life in the book of Jonah that depicts the future uh, Jesus. Uh, as Jonah was asleep in a boat, as he was running away from God during a storm, as the sailors were terrified, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was asleep during a storm as the as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee. The sailors looked to Jonah for help. The disciples looked to Jesus for help. The storm was calmed in an instant by God in the book of Jonah. The storm was calmed in an instant by Jesus in Mark chapter 4. The sailors subsequently shifted their fear from the storm to God. They were like, oh, they're, they're terrified of this God who could calm the storm. The sh disciples shifted their fear from the storm to Jesus, who now they're terrified of Jesus who has the ability to calm the storm. 
Jonah was called a priest to the Gentile sinners that were despised by the Jews. Jesus preached to Gentile sinners despised by the Jews. Jonah was willing to be sacrificed to save the sailors, to ask the sailors to throw him overboard so they could calm the storm. Jesus, of course, is willing to sacrifice on the cross for us. And before the sailors threw Jonah overboard, they declared the innocence of his impending death. They asked God not to, you know, not to be mad at them for throwing Jonah overboard. And before Pilate gave up Jesus to the crowd, he declared his innocence of the blood of Jesus. So these are some parallels, similarities, um, that were written the way they were because they are meant to be a type. Jonah's meant to be a type of Christ. Let me go over uh, one of the most important types of Christ, and that is Isaac, okay? Um, now, Genesis 22, this chapter is one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible for me. In fact, um, it is one of the passages where I felt like I didn't, I, I mean, I understood the passage, but I didn't understand why God would command Abraham to kill Isaac, okay? And um, it's, I wasn't going to lose my faith over one passage, all right? Don't worry about that. But it was very difficult to me, and it took me years to figure out, before I figured it out, and um, I tried to explain it away through various, various methods. But until, up until I understood biblical typology, once you understand types, this makes perfect sense, okay? So let's go over this. Uh, Genesis 22. So God comes to Abraham and says this. Now, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So verse 3, Abraham rose early the next morning. Abraham doesn't waste any time. And he saddles his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. So this is a three-day journey. This must have been the most difficult three days of Abraham's life. And he says to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And this next verse just tears, tears me up, tears my heart out. I'm at, I can't imagine when Abraham was what was going through Abraham's mind at this time, right? This is verse 7. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine what's going through Abraham's mind right now? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, Abraham has several huge conundrums, okay, here. The first one, of course, um, is, wait a minute, God had promised that Abraham, he would have this nation of people that he would be the father of, numerous as the stars in the sky and in the heavens, and it would be through Isaac. Yet, there's a contradiction here. If he kills Isaac, sacrifices him, how is he going to have a nation through Isaac? But the second conundrum, the second biggest conundrum, and it's for me, is how, how could God be commanding Abraham to sacrifice his son? Yeah, I get it. I get it that God tests us, okay? That's not a problem there. God tests us, and that's, that's um, uh, something, a biblical concept throughout the Bible, that God does test people. But he never tempts us, right? God cannot tempt us more than what we can bear, and certainly 
He doesn't make us do immorally, uh, immoral things. He doesn't make us do immorally wrong things. And here he is, of course, child sacrifice is immoral. It's wrong. How, why would he command Abraham to do, perform child sacrifice on, innocent, on his innocent son? On top of that. Um, and um, so he, Abraham's in a huge conundrum. This, he, he needs to obey God, but he also can't be doing something immoral. And so for me, that was always, this was always the toughest passage in the Bible. I never understood that. I never understood how could God um, uh, command such a, a command. It doesn't make sense. But then if you understand Bible types and typology, then it makes perfect sense. And it makes sense because Isaac is going to be a type of Christ for us. Okay? So when I read Hebrews eleven seventeen. This is when it all made sense, okay? So Hebrews eleven seventeen and on states this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And here's the kicker. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in the manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So what happened was Abraham really figured out in his heart of hearts that even if he killed Isaac, if he sacrificed Isaac, that it would only be temporary, that God would raise him, would resurrect Isaac from the dead. So it would never actually be a, a, actually be a murder. Okay? And this was before resurrections even happened. So Abraham knew in his heart of hearts that he wasn't actually going to sacrifice permanently Isaac that God would raise him from the dead. So he would actually not be morally culpable for doing anything wrong. And you have to understand the context of this, that um, Abraham already seen miracles. I mean, he and his wife got pregnant, right? Uh, Sarah, he laughed at God, he, and God said, hey, you're going to be pregnant. And he's like, Sarah's 90, I'm 100. You know, that was already of a miracle. Then the context of him obeying and being tested from God over and over again, uh, following God wherever he wanted to go and God providing all the way, this is not just some regular Joe Blow guy here. He is going to be the father of the nations. He is unique. God will never, ever tempt us or test us in this way of sacrificing our son. But for Abraham, it was meant to be because Isaac is going to be a type of Christ. So, um, how is Isaac type of Christ? Think about these parallels. Sarah was barren, and Mary is barren in the sense that she was a virgin. Both are called an only son. Both were mocked and persecuted by their own kindred. Neither Isaac nor Christ have broken the law that they should be offered up. They both rode a donkey to the place of sacrifice. Isaac carried the wood on which he was to die, and Christ carried his own cross. Isaac went willingly, although he didn't know what was going on, to the altar. Christ went willingly to the cross. And both were given up or forsaken by his father. Uh, there was a ram that was caught in the thicket in the, in the thorns um, that was end up being sacrificed. Uh, and Jesus wore a crown of thorns. It took a three-day journey to get to the mountain of Moriah, and Jesus was in the grave for three days. And both rose from the place of death in resurrection, Isaac figuratively. So Isaac, is his whole life and story is meant to be a foreshadowing of the future Christ for us. And that's why the, the way it was written, and that's why God commanded and tested Abraham the way it was, is because this whole story is going to unfold for us in the New Testament. 
type. This type is going to unfold for us in the New Testament story in Christ. Um, let's move on here. Uh, okay, Je- Jesus also revealed in Old Testament through prophecy. So I'll give you a minute to uh, t- uh, write down all the prophecies here about Jesus now. So um, here's, uh, maybe this is a little bit more readable. I broke down to 17 of some of my, my favorite prophecies. But the, the, on your, your left, there would be the prophecy in the Old Testament. And then on your right is the fulfillment in the New Testament of prophecies such as that he would be virgin born, birth in Bethlehem, sold for 30 pieces of silver, crucified with robbers, lots cast for his clothes, bones not broken, uh, buried in tumor rich, that he would perform miracles to confirm his messiahship. All these prophecies, um, some very specific that were fulfilled in Jesus. So all these prophecies written by the Old Testament uh, writers were about Jesus. So um, these are some of the uh, uh, ways that Jesus is found in the Old Testament. Also, the Old Testament prophets, they would prophesy all these miraculous changes that would occur in the world when the Messianic kingdom would come. And all these like miraculous changes would happen. And they would mention all these uh, crazy things that would happen in the world, such as there would be beneficial changes in the Earth's climate and natural elements. And then if you compare Jesus' miracles, you will see that his miracles correspond to all these prophecies of the Old Testament prophets. For example, Jesus demonstrated his power to control the Earth's climate by walking on the water and then stilling the two storms to show that he is the guy who can control the Earth's climate and natural elements. Um, the, the Old Testament prophets predicted that there would be a huge, uh, great productivity of animals and a huge multitude of fish in the Messianic kingdom. And then twice, Jesus miraculously produced a huge catch of fish for his disciples after they fished all night without catching. The Old Testament prophets predicted that there would be this super abundant supply of food in the Messianic kingdom. And guess what? Why did Jesus perform that cra- those crazy miracles of turning like the, you know, the uh, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish and feeding thousands and thousands and thousands of people? He did that to, again, to fulfill prophecy that there would be a superabundant supply of food when the Messiah would come. Uh, the, the Old Testament prophets predicted there would be abundance of wine. What was Jesus' first recorded miracle? The turning water into wine at Cana. You ever wonder why that story was recorded? I mean, it was just to show that Jesus is a party or two. He can, you know, party with the best of them, turn water and wine. He did this, again, to show that he has the ability to produce abundance of wine like it was predicted by the Old Testament prophets from the past. Of course, the Old Testament prophets predicted there'd be healing physical diseases, and that's what Jesus did throughout um, his ministry. And that there would be a great longevity of life, and, and Jesus raised uh, people from the dead, Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, and the widow's son from the dead, lengthening their lives beyond their normal lifespan. So every one of Jesus' miracles corresponds to one of these nine aspects of change that were mentioned from the Old Testament prophets predicting uh, how the earth, how all these miraculous changes will be happening on earth when the Messiah is to come. And in John chapter 20, verse 30, which is the second to last chapter in John, it reads that Jesus performed many of these other signs, which is another word for miracles, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
And so Jesus performed this miracles to prove his Messiahship that was predicted in throughout the Old Testament. All right, the last way that Jesus is implicitly revealed in the Old Testament is this angel of the Lord. Now, it's important to make this distinction. There is a lot of angel of the Lord's written, but when it says the angel with the definite article the used in front of it, it's speaking of this very unique person. This unique person, this, this the angel of the Lord, had authority to forgive sins, receive worship, accept sacrifices from people, and spoke and acted on his own intrinsic authority. So I'm going to just blow through these. I won't get into details here, but uh, this angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and says that you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. And eventually Hagar interchanges, as she's speaking to the angel of the Lord, she calls him Lord who spoke to her, and she says, you are the God who sees me. So she calls this angel of the Lord God. In another situation, Moses, when he was out in the wilderness in Midian, he saw the burning bush, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of the fire from the bush. And then subsequently, the angel of the Lord and God is used interchangeably. Okay. Then later, uh, Moses calls this angel of the Lord God, um, and he was afraid to look at God when he recognized that, that's who he was in the burning bush. And then another appearance of the angel of the Lord is in Judges, where the angel of the Lord appears to Samson's parents and said that you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. And eventually, Samson's parents uh, uh, do a sacrifice to this angel of the Lord, and then through the flames, the angel of the Lord ascends, and then they realize that they are seeing God, and they thought they were going to be doomed to die because they saw this angel of the Lord who they call as God. And then we'll circle back to our story, main story of today of Genesis 22. We'll pack back, pack, pick back up with Abraham at the altar, and he's about to, uh, he bounds up Isaac, and he's about to, you know, pull, he pulls the knife and is about to slay his son. And guess who appears to help to stop him in verse 11? It's the angel of the Lord who calls out to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. Here I, am. I don't know why Abraham keeps saying, here I am. God should be saying, I know you're there, I'm talking to you. But anyway, never mind. So he says, God says, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do, do anything to him now that I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. And then God provides this ram that was caught in the thicket instead. But guess what? The angel of the Lord and God are used interchangeably here. Okay? So um, what, what's my point here? This angel of the Lord that makes all these appearances in the Old Testament is most likely the second person in the Trinity making physical appearances to the people in the Old Testament. This is called a Christophany. He is called an angel of the Lord because angel just means messenger. He functions as God's messenger, though he is clearly God himself. He's not an angel that we think of, not a created being. Okay? It's just a title. It's just like son of man, son of God is a title for God so is angel of the, the angel of the Lord. And just realize that the angel of the Lord, after the incarnation of Jesus, is never mentioned again. It's never mentioned in the New Testament. He doesn't make any more appearances because now Jesus is on the scene. So I feel that the angel of the Lord, when you read about him in the Old Testament, is basically, is basically Christ making physical appearances called a Christophany before his incarnation in the New Testament.
All right, so to summarize, there are three ways Jesus was revealed in the Old Testament through types, through prophecy, and angel of the Lord. And I hope this, this helps you with your understanding, especially of the Old Testament when you read it. It's lots of times we read the Old Testament and we're looking at heroes and villains in the Old Testament. We get into, you know, um, their lives and we, you know, get we, get, we come up with all these great children's stories for children's Sunday school. But we miss the point. If you don't see Christ in the Old Testament, then you miss your point. It's like looking at uh, Waldo pictures and not knowing that your whole point is to find Waldo, not that this is a crowded beach in China, okay? Um, there are many books out there that talk about this. Some, this author said that Jesus is on every single page of the Bible. I think this is a huge stretch. I read this book. It's pretty good, but he's not on every page. You're not going to find Jesus everywhere, but just realize that Jesus is the theme of the Old Testament. This is just an a, a, just a example of some of the books out there. There are so many books out there that talk about discovering Jesus in the Old Testament, Christ in the Old Testament, knowing Jesus through the Old Testament. Bible types and shadows, seeing Christ in the Old Testament, preaching Christ from the Old Testament. So I just want you to get you, give you an idea, when you're reading the entire Bible, and especially reading Old Testament, the point of the authors is this foreshadowing of the future Jesus come. He's in there. You're supposed to find him. Um, uh, I, I was going to give you a summary of the Bible in two minutes, but I won't. Um, so again, don't miss the purpose of where's Waldo. You may look at this and go, oh, this picture is about crowded stadium, there's a blue and red team, and maybe we're supposed to, there's some significance of what KFC means, and, you know, and it looks like there's a mixed crowd, there's a bunch of fans in blue and red, and, you know, whatever. No, the point is you're supposed to find Waldo in there. So what I want to stress today in this overview of the Bible is don't miss the point in the entire Bible. The most important point is it gives us special knowledge about God, specifically about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the main character throughout the Old and the New Testament. Yes, in the Old Testament, he may be more veiled, he may be more hidden, and he's implicitly revealed, but he is there. And you got to realize the entire Old Testament, the whole point of the Old Testament is a setup leading to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Old Testament is leading up to that. You have to realize that uh, uh, in the first two chapters of the Bible, in Genesis, we see the creation event happening. We see God creating the world, okay? But from chapter 3 on, we see the fall of mankind. And then from chapter 3, we realize that God is going to usher in a rescue plan for mankind. Okay? It's not that this caught God off guard, and he said, oh, no, I didn't think Adam and Eve would eat from the fruit of you know, knowledge of, of, of good and evil. I didn't think they would do that. How could they be that stupid? This didn't catch God off guard. He knew all along this would happen, and before the beginning of time, uh, it was, I, I don't know how the Trinity figured it out. They did rock, pepper, scissors, or whatever, but they knew that the second person of the Trinity was going to subsequently come on earth in that first century, be born, uh, take on human flesh, and die for our sins. And from chapter 3 on, you see God choosing, subsequently, Abraham, and using the nation of Israel through which that rescue plan is going to come, through which a Messiah will be born. And um, that is the unfurling of the Old Testament leading up to the New Testament. And so if you keep that in mind, you will better, much better be able to interpret the Old Testament 
in light of the New Testament. All right, with that, uh, anybody have any questions? I know that was a lot. Maybe you felt like you're in seminary a little bit today. But it's very important, of course, that you understand this overview of the Bible. All right. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you, Dr. Dan. Um, Man, I I don't remember a study on typology uh, until maybe 20 years ago. So thank you for bringing that back and helping us to see Jesus in the Old Testament and those types, and that's, that's great. You know, oftentimes uh, our youth and college students wonder, well, what is the purpose of studying the Old Testament then if we're a New Testament church? And now we know another reason for it, so thank you. Yeah, and c- can we have the lights off as we uh, worship the Lord through our uh, response song, uh, Let Us All Stand.